Hey there, you're listening to Bird's Eye View, a podcast that gives you a new perspective on women in prison. Just a quick heads up that this episode contains material that may be confronting, especially for survivors of trauma. Aboriginal and Torres Strait people are advised that the following story may contain the names and voices of people who are passed away. If bad language offends you, turn down the volume. I'm locked up, they won't let me out. Can you pay me a visit? Send me some magazines, send me some money orders. Pay me a visit, baby, because I'm locked up. My name's Dan. I'm from the Tiwi Islands, top of Darwin. If you look on the map, Tiwi Islands is two islands. The bigger island, it's called Melville Island. And the small island is called Bathurst Island. And that's where I'm from. But these days they changed the name into Wurumiyanga. My skin name is, it's called, it's Irma Takaringa. That's mullet. My dream name is crocodile. I dance crocodile. And I'm from Bobardo. That's my country. And that's the only place that has big mussels in my country. You find them in the mangrove, little round mussels with meat inside them. They taste like, a bit like oysters, but with mud in them. Yeah, they yummy. And they burnt it. I like mine burnt. <laughs> Those um, soups, the soup is um, salty and lovely. It's just yum. And we get long bums in there too, you know what long bum is? No. It's a mangrove worm. What's that? Have you ever ate a mangrove worm? No, it's just <laughs> <laughs> We we find them in trees in the in the in the mangrove trees, dead trees. They grow in the dead trees. They're like worms. Mangrove worms. What do they taste like? Yummy. They and they're really good for you too. They're oh, healthy. Yeah. Little fat worms. What's you that just thing? Squeeze the squeeze squeeze the mud out of them. You squeeze the mud out of them and you just swallow. Oh! <laughs> but the little thick little thick skinny ones. Wow. They are really really like they hot and spicy. Yeah, you boil them once and you drink the soup. When I was sixteen, I went down to Cairns at this little girl boarding school. I didn't even know there was Aboriginal people all over Australia. I thought that there was being more white people, but only us, the Tiwi Island mob, was only Aboriginal in my little world. And then when I went down to Cairns, I found out there was more Aboriginal people down there, and then I started learning their culture and their ways. And I was like, oh, my God, it's different to how we do things, you know? They are the rainforest people. They're pretty... Cool, they make earth ovens and everything. Them people down there. All the Nungas. Attention, Sector 4, standby for unlock. Fully dressed, tags on, TV's off. Standby for unlock. When you hear the call, prepare for unlock. Stand by yourself, fully dressed, shirts tucked in, TV's off, lights on. 
prepare for unlocks. And then you get up and you be like, ah, oh, this shit again. It is my third time in prison. And it is horrible. And I'm sick of it. I think this is my third and last time because I don't want to come back anymore. There's been a lot of shit going on lately. Girls ganging up and other girls and just running girls down, judging them, you know. You know how you go boarding school and you got the popular girls and the little geeks and whatnot, you know? And yeah, it's just like in here. But in here you got girls that are from one community that stick together and they all just gang up together and then hate other girls from different country and different states. They don't want to mingle with you or anything, you know, and I, I like, I like anybody and everybody, you know, I just, I can sit down, I can live with strangers and make them my own family, you know. I'm just, I'm, I don't know, I got a big heart. And I can take anyone in and claim them as my family. You haven't seen the bad side of me yet. But you won't, don't worry. I'll, I won't, I won't snap, like, be rude, nasty in front of you, because that's just how I am. I just be rude and nasty to the people that disrespect me and, you know, give me wrong vibes. You know, you would never know what it feels like to have a mental breakdown until you do have one yourself. And then you understand why and how people do the things they do. Yeah, get lonely and sad and you feel like you can't love, you know? You just... You treat everyone else the way you was treated when you was a little girl. Because that's the only way you know. It's the only thing you've been taught. I used to get flogged all the time. Because I didn't like the word motherfucker. Every time when I went to school, someone calls me a motherfucker, I just snap and start bashing the little kid. I went home to my mom and she asked why I got sent home early. And I told her, I said, mom, he called me a motherfucker, you know. I don't like it when people say that to me because I don't fuck my mom. I just, I didn't get it, you know. And mom was like, it's just a word, Dan. And I was like, yeah, but you know, it hurts. I didn't like it, and mom used to give me biggest hiding. My mom used to bang my head on the wall and everything. It was only when we do bad things, though. We just get good, good flogging, not smack, little love tap. We get fucking really, real good hiding, disciplined 
just to, you know, try and teach us. You don't do that, otherwise you get more of this. But we just, we didn't learn from it. We just kept on doing bad things and then kept on getting more and more flogging. All my history and my records are all about violence. It's just violence, assaults, armed in public area. That's it. No, no drugs record, no fucking stealing records, just violence, I don't know. I think it's because I grew up in a violent lifestyle. My father was really violent towards my mum. He used to bash my mom up all the time. No one wants a violent man in their life, you know? No woman, no mother wants a violent man around her or her children. And eventually she will get sick of it and leave him. Funny, eh? Yeah. I'm allergic to turtle. I was seven. My mom first gave me turtle at, in the islands there. She gave me turtle and my face started puffing up. And then it was just like, I couldn't like breathe. Like somebody would be allergic to peanut butter yes. or something nuts. And then my mom took me to the hospital and she was like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And then them doctors were like, oh, what did you give your daughter? What did your daughter eat? And then my mom was like, turtle. <laughs> And then the doctors turned around and looked at mum. They're like, oh my God, your daughter's allergic to turtles. And mum was like, what? How can she be allergic to turtles? She's a saltwater breed. So every time when my mum cooks up turtle, she tells me to leave the house. So I just go, she cooked turtle, lit them up, and then clean up after, spray. Because if I smell it, I vomit. I drink, I drink, I drink. Cause um, cause I'm sad most of the time. I keep thinking about my dead family, and it hurts me. Cause they keep coming back to me, and even though it's been a long, long time, I can I can still feel them and hear their voices and see them, and I keep thinking that they're alive and they're waiting for me on the island, you know, and. To think that they're they're not here anymore, that they're gone and they will never be back, it's just, it's really, really sad. And when I drink, I forget about everything and everyone, you know? When I'm stoned, when I'm on the drug, like when I'm smoking ganja, cannabis, I just sit there and I think, Think about my dead uncles and aunties and my dad and and then I just start crying. My dad died three years ago. He committed suicide. I don't know why, but I think it was because of how people was treating him. 
I always used to treat my dad wrong. No, I never used to um never used to like my dad too because of all the thing he done to my mom. When he died, I just I didn't get the chance to tell him that I really do love him, you know. I can be kind to them and loving, you know, but sometimes when I get the feeling that people don't like me, you know, when you get that feeling that someone doesn't like you and you just don't want to go there, well, that's how I am. I think people see me as a mean little bitchy girl because um, never, I never smile. I grew up with my mom family and they all... They're all um, light-skinned, they're from Alice Springs. I grew up speaking English, and I can't, I can't speak Creole, you know, pidgin English, because all these other girls in here, they can speak it very well, you know. And yeah, and they look at me like, what the fuck, why is she always speaking English? Why she thinks she's the best or something, you know? White people did just, no offense, but they just came and ruined us. All us black people, you know, in Australia, indigenous mob, came and built bottle shops, invited drugs, fucking meth, everything, you know. We should be out there in the bush hunting, swimming in the water holes, you know, Mother Nature, living in little bush houses, eating bush foods, bush tucker, you know. People with the worst past end up creating the best future for themselves. If I stopped drinking, I reckon things would be different. And if I go back to the island and live with my family, yeah, and you know, you know when you're on the island and you got your family, you got kids, little kids, little young generation, your sisters, cousins, best friends, daughters, you know, nephew, and they just put a lot of love in your heart and you just want to be there for them and you just want the best future for all of them. I'm going to go see my family in the island, stay with them for a bit. Go out bush, oh, I'm going to eat a lot of bush tucker. I'm going fishing, I'm going crabbing, I'm going in the mangrove for fucking mud mussels. Fucking long bums <laughs> and mangrove worms. Guys swimming in the waterfalls. Every time when I hear B2M, I just get really, really homesick because it's my people singing, singing about our people. Oh my god, I miss TV Islands. I always dream about home. I always dream that I'm at home.
When you're locked up, you do a lot of thinking about home. Memories, daydreams, fantasies even. Sometimes I dream about myself that I'm with my family. They're sitting down on the beach, cooking fish, oysters. Hunting, fishing, swimming. When I dream about home, I see a blue sky, blue water and white scent. Um, I remember being at home and it was clean. <laughs> Hopefully it still is. It's not always good, but it's home. I think about, is it still going to be the same way I left it before I got locked up? Are they going to change my house around? I see my family. Sometimes I forget their faces and their names. Some women in here don't even have a home to go to when they get out. People come to jail because they need a home, free rent, free job, free medical, free accommodation. Did you hear this? Oh my God, I heard from over the fence. You know what I'm saying, eh? For real? Did you know we get to eat kangaroo tails in jail? Not all the time, just only once a year. Every NAIDOC. Well, if you don't know what NAIDOC is, it's a week in June where we celebrate our culture, Aboriginal culture. I couldn't eat my kangaroo tail yesterday because I had no salt. I gave it away. <laughs> How do you cook it at home? It's cooking in the fire. Sometimes we roast it. When we go hunting, my cousin's sister, she has a gun. Yeah, she started shooting them, collect them. And we make a fire and we burn the tail, the hay, and then we cook it in the coal. I know what white people are like. So um, yesterday, before we got our tail, I said to everyone, if you don't want your tail, I'll have it. And um, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I'll have some tail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lined up and they all got a bit about, I don't know how long's that, six inches. And then one by one, every white person sitting around me, ear rocket, ear rocket, ear rocket, ear rocket. I ended up with about eight kangaroo tails. I was like, yeah, sitting there with this big pile of kangaroo tail. And then I'm like, fucking eat, 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 eat. And then I had heaps left and I was sitting there. I'm like, oh, Bosie. I'm like, I'll save some for Bosie. And I was going to give some to somebody else, but she ticked me off, so I didn't. So, um, yeah, and then I was like, coming through movement control, you're not allowed to bring anything through. So I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, they're going to take this off me at movement control. So I had a piece stashed for Bosie down my shorts. <laughs> but I had a lot in my hand, but they ended up letting me through anyway, so. Just tastes delicious, soft, better with salt, yeah. Yeah, but we're not allowed to have salt, we're prisoners. Yeah, we're not allowed to have salt. It reminds me of... A bit like Oxtail. It reminds me of the knuckles that you get on the roast. But it's some of the best meat you can get. It's very um, rich in iron. Delicious. Mmm. Hi, my name's Sylvia. I wrote this poem about home back in Grudala. Sadness hearing all the bad news. 
family dying, all the songs, eagle singing, the smell of the sea, dancing, crying, the broker barking, kookaburra screaming to that person, clapping thing, clap, clap, clap. You can see the red star and the star, my dreaming star, caterpillar, tiger shark. When that person die, they go way back, belong to a country. The thing I miss most about home is my aircon and my own fridge with my own food. Going hunting with family or friends, play with my grandkids. Sitting with my big sister, telling stories, sitting, eating damper. The flowers around here remind me of my home because we've got flowers around everywhere. When I'm in prison, I smell rain on the earth. It smells like back at home. Here, black cockatoo and crow. And it reminds me of home. If you want to make phone calls in here, you've got to go to the PSO, Prisoner Support Officer, and she'll give you a form to fill out. Usually it only happens once a month. They give you a phone list and you've got to put down the person who you're calling, their number and what they are to you, oh, and also their address. To listen to preset numbers, press 2. To dial up, please enter the preset code. The people on my phone list are my daughter and my sister and my cousin's sister, and that's it. The people on my phone list are my niece and my little sister. When you pick up the phone, (laughs) it asks you to enter your PIN number, and then if you want to make a call out, you have to press number one. And then to call who you want to call, you have to press the number that they've given you on your sheet, on your phone list. And then it'll say, this call cannot be connected until the person on the other side is picked up. (laughs) This number has been approved for 15 minutes. Please note, this call will be recorded. Please wait for a connection. Note, you will not be able to talk until the call has been accepted. I'm on the phone all the time. We only get 15 minute phone calls. But um, we're also charged $6.50 for the whole 15 minutes. Yeah, if we have a seven-minute phone call, we only charge $3. That's cheap. That's fair enough. <laughs> After 15 minutes, we've got to wait another hour, one hour, to another make another call. If you pick up the phone too early, this is the message you will get. Your minimum duration has not passed. Please try again in 45 minutes. Then it counts down. 41 40, 39, 38. And it's very hard for prisoners to call their families. 20, 19, 18, 17, 16. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. I can make another phone call. (laughs) And we're back at the start. 
sometimes there's a phone's broken and we can't hardly hear and talk to our family. When someone ring to their family, if they don't answer, they break the phone. That's why it can't work. This telephone call is being made from the Darwin Correctional Center. The call is being recorded and may be monitored. It is unlawful for the call to be diverted to another number or to use the call to participate in a conference call. If you do not wish to receive this call, hang up your phone now. I was thinking, like, I wish I had had a mobile phone to call my family every day. My favorite part of the week is to call my family when they talk to me, when I listen to their voices, and it makes me happy. Call has been accepted. Hello, Mum. I had a dream. People standing in the center of the space in a crowd dancing with white okay in the skin and hair. Their feet tweaking the surround amidst small clouds of dust. Off to one side other men sing, play didgeridoo or a clapstick. Men are dancing with their spears, just like a mimi spirit dancing in the cave. Women's dancing for manyong. Tara wrote this poem in Sector 4, and after she was released, it was published by Australian Poetry. You can Google it up. Tara also writes songs for Ripple Effect, an all-female rock band from Manangrita. Here's a little bit of their music. If you're really lucky, you might get to finish your sentence at home on home detention. Remember Tace from episode five? She got to finish off her sentence on home D. I'm um, on home detention, Um, so I'm not allowed to leave my mum's house other than work and a few things that have to be approved, like medical reasons or things like that. So basically can't really leave the house, yeah. This is my mum, Jan. And um, this is my favourite person. Hi. And she's my number one headache. But we make it work. I can't say, yep, my daughter's fine, I don't worry about a single thing yet, but I think it's coming. There is a bit of shame behind the, you know, the ankle monitor thing. I know there is a stigma with it that, um, you know, most people think, oh, if you've got that, you know, you're cool, you've been to jail or you've done something wrong, you know. But um, I think if you've got half a mind about yourself, you know, it's not the right thing. It's a nice, chunky uh, rubber band with an um, alien thing on the side that sits on my ankle. And um, I think it's just got a GPS tracker and um, there's a monitoring company that basically monitoring me 24-7, um, as with anyone else who's in my situation. And um, they come along and do um, a, a random breath test and a um, drug urine analysis as well so because I'm I'm on home detention they bring a van over that does that they park it out the front it looks like an ice cream van Um, so some of the kids come out to get an ice cream and stuff but um, yeah so that's a bit awkward but that's all right I'll give them a drink anyway 
About the bracelet, it's a good and a bad thing. Like we've had a couple of incidences um, where people have approached Taste that she doesn't even know, basically saying, yeah, I've done that. Um, have you been in jail or heard you were out or something? Are you? I've got some gear if you're interested. So um, whilst it's a, a good thing and they need to monitor them, I don't know if it can be more discreet. Whether it's good or bad, I have good and bad ideas about the bracelet. It's been five months and um, feels like five years. No, actually, it's gone really fast. It's been good. Um, I think I could have been doing that five months and more, like, in prison. I'm um, just so happy to be out, you know. Um, and each day that, you know, goes by, I get more and more proud of myself because, you know, it's working out and I know that I can do it. I'm finally going to start my life today. It's finally over. Last time I brush my teeth here. I think I'll start at the beginning. It's usually a good place to start. My name's Joan. I was born in Darwin. I'm 29 years old. I first come to jail in 2014 in um, Dole Prison, Barramah. Um, I was there for 15 months and then I got out and then I come to this prison. I feel you're on the outside. I'm never getting out, mate. You are getting out. Yeah, 2020. Here, give me a hug. No. I'll wipe your toothpaste. I was the youngest of seven. Yeah, growing up was, it was pretty hard. My sister always said, you know, if anything bad happens, just run. So a lot of the time I would hide. Um, I would run away. Okay. As I got older and I got a bit more bigger and I could, you know, potentially look after myself, I learned this thing, like, you can kind of block out your ears. Like, you, I don't know how you do it, but you raise your ears or something and then you just concentrate on that and it's like it blocks out people talking to you. Give me a hug. No. I'm going to miss you, butter. I like hugs, Bowen. Oh, I'm going to miss you. <gasps> don't let these come to get to you, okay? Smack you, no, you're not going to smash anyone. I don't smash anyone. I'm no, yes. You're going to get your L2, you're going to get your yellow. Everything will be all right. But then as I got older, I started smoking pot. And I realised, like, guns is really helping. And I suppose if you live in a normal world, like have a normal life, you wouldn't want to feel comfortably numb. You wouldn't want to feel medicated all the time. But, you know, I didn't really live in a normal world. I didn't have a normal life. Um, a lot of the time I was on walking on eggshells. Yeah. Walking in the Katrina. If you see them, ask them for my daughter to come and visit me. What's your daughter's please. name? Selena. Selena. To come and visit her. Okay. For me, please. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As I progressed through school and as I got older, I started taking different drugs. So I started taking ecstasy and, and speed. So for a long time, it was like drugs weren't, weren't in control. But then it got to a point where... I wouldn't go out unless I had drugs. And I think that's when I figured out that, yeah, I think this is a bit of a problem. And then, you know, it just escalated. So, yeah, by at least 21, I knew that it was an issue, it was a problem. I've never really hocked anything. I've never sold my soul, never sold my body. Like, I always had these kind of morals to, to drugs and drug taking. And yeah, so in order for me to keep my morals, I had to sell drugs 
so I didn't do anything else to get drugs. I got sentenced, I was pregnant. I got sentenced on the basis that I'd be able to keep my daughter with me. It was really hard. It was really hard. I was locked in a cell. Like, I couldn't get folate for a while. Like, um, I was always hungry. Like, I couldn't get an extra extra dinner. I couldn't get extra food. Once I got sentenced, um, I got my green shirt pretty quick and I got to go to LSA, which is like a low security area. And um, yeah, so you can walk around, you can use the phone whenever you want, like, that's pretty lucky in that way. <sighs> he was coming every week, you know, twice a week, visiting me. He met my mum on my birthday in prison, held my mum's hand. And, you know, he's like, don't even think about having abortion, abortion, you know, having a baby is a beautiful thing, blah, blah, blah. He's got five kids. Of course, say, you're not going to do what you did to the other girls. And he's like, no, no, no. And then he just stopped visiting. No letter, no, no nothing. I wouldn't change my daughter for the world, but... You know, in saying that, like, I didn't, I didn't want to have a baby in prison. I didn't want to be pregnant in prison. I didn't want to be a single parent, you know what I mean? I, I didn't want to be my mum. I got to go to a prenatal class, so they prison booked that and they took me out. I went with two guards. They dressed in normal clothes. I, I got to wear normal clothes. So there's all these couples, you know, mums and dads, and, you know, they're learning about how to breathe and this and that, and here I am, you know, by myself. So um, I had a bag packed and ready. Like, I had, you know, all this stuff, like shampoos and conditioners, and, you know, clothes for the baby, clothes for me, pyjamas. And um, we went in, in the car and, like, because I was pregnant, they wouldn't, they don't put you in the back. And because you're pregnant, you're not meant to get handcuffed. And um, we went to the hospital and they induced me. It took, like, two days for it to start because she just didn't want to come. Um, they broke my waters. It was pretty all right. Like, the pains were moderate. Like, they weren't that bad. But um, I started getting these really cold chills. And then I remember my legs being so numb, so, so numb. I couldn't even move them and I wanted to move them. And then, um, then I remember that um, I had this pain in my hip and the nurse was a trainee nurse. And I remember being really frustrated with her. And then she called the doctor in and the doctor's like, look, her head's obstructed. You're going to have to have emergency cesarean. I was like, I don't want to do this. I can't do it. And they gave me more drugs and... Put me, I put a gown on me and then I remember being like pretty much really out of it. It was like being the mummy alien. You know, have you seen the movie Alien? Yeah, I felt like that. I was like, I feel like it. I was talking some shit, man. I was like, I feel like I'm out of my body. And then everything went really white and then like really bright. And then I just got snapped out of it by this baby crying. <laughs> Oh, 
and um, my sister was holding her. And I remember my sister's smile and, and then, yeah, she'd come and give her to me. But I didn't want to hold her straight away because I was numb up to, like, my boobs and I was scared that I couldn't, like, I might drop her or something with my arms, but I didn't. So she was a little spunk. She had her hair up and a little mohawk and, yeah, she had a little fat tummy and she was so cute. She had my nose, she had my, my eyes and... It was really hard. Like, my daughter ended up staying in hospital for a month because they thought she had a heart murmur and that, you know, she has to go for an operation. So it was highly stressful. And then um, the prison starts saying to me, look, you've got to start weaning her off, off breast milk. You've got to put her on a bottle because you're going to go back to prison. So I was sentenced on the basis that I'd be able to keep my daughter with me. Once they, um, they thought she had a heart murmur, the prison said no. So I'm bawling my eyes out, you know, I didn't know what to do. So then I ring my sister, told my sister what's happening. So my sister ended up taking her and, yeah. So when I didn't bring my daughter back to the prison, everyone was pretty upset. Like it didn't just affect me, but it affect, because everyone was, you know, seeing ultrasound pics and everyone was watching me get bigger and, and waiting for this baby to come but then the baby never came you know oh my god she's she's so cute like the thing she said i just wanted to stay little forever the thing she says and does so i like her to say pineapples because she says it really funny like pineapples Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays, I'll talk to her after school. On the weekends, she's home usually. Sometimes Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, I talk to her all the time. Yeah. I'm pretty lucky that my sister and my niece, you know, my brother-in-law have been there and she's had that, you know, good environment so far. Like, she's been surrounded by love and she has these people that, you know, dote on her. What I don't cope with is is the stuff I've missed out on, you know. So I missed out on her first footsteps. I missed out on seeing her crawl for the first time. Um, a lot of that stuff you don't ever get back. And even now, I asked her to say pineapples the other day and she said it correctly and I was like, no. I'm still undecided exactly how or what I'm going to tell her because obviously this is not the best period of my life. Yeah, I still I still debate whether or not I'm going to exactly tell her why I'm in here and what happened. But, you know, obviously honesty is the best policy. But So I don't think I'm even going to mention it until, until she starts to get to that age where she's on the internet and maybe could possibly find something, do you know what I mean? Then I might say something. She says to me now, I want to visit mummy in the policeman's cupboard. So she kind of knows where I am, but that kind of makes me a bit upset. She goes, oh, um, you're not coming out of jail, mummy. You're staying there. I said, no, 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 no. My time's up. I'm coming home. Um, We're going to go through the Sallyport because I'm leaving Darwin Correctional Centre. The Sallyport's the main in and out of the prison. So it's a big concrete wall, a big roller door where all the traffic comes in and out. And on the left-hand side is where the guards sit and they monitor who's coming and going. So anyone and everyone go through these doors. Bye. Okay, I did used to have a big affair with drugs, but now that I've got this other person in my life, they're not so, they're not important anymore, do you know what I mean?
So the type of mum I would like to be, I'm going to be, would be supportive, um, always there, um, understanding, and basically I want to be her best friend eventually. Like I want her to be able to tell me anything and not think she's going to get in trouble, do you know what I mean? And I think if we have that sort of relationship, everything will be okay. So um, I'm getting picked up from Rosie. She is a YWCA case manager. Um, the reason why I'm getting picked up from her is just because it would be a lot easier because I want to do some running around. So she's going to take me to do some shopping, take me to Palmerston to get a burger and a coffee and yeah, and then I'm going to go do some shopping at Woolies and she's going to drop me home. Let's go. Let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> When I get home, I'm going to eat turtle, jigong, fish, mud crab, peepee shell, mud mussel, clam shell. All my favorite food. Um, when I get out of here, I'm going to be really happy. But at the same time, I'm going to be really sad. I'm going to miss all the girls in here. Yeah. I'm going to miss my sister too the most though. But I'll come back and I'll visit her. Visit her in the visiting area section. I gotta feed this my sister's graveyard and my brother's graveyard and my brother, uh, mom's graveyard and my grandmother's graveyard and my my dad's graveyard. This is my first time walking out of the prison. I was asking a couple of ladies and they was telling me you gotta walk out at the reception, change your clothes, get grab all the stuff, sit there for like four or five minutes and then walk out. Keep going and you're free. That's it for our final episode of Bird's Eye View. The end. Finito. Farewell. No more. See you later. If you've been with us since the beginning, you've pretty much been listening to us for about 10 hours. I feel kind of sad. I'm going to miss you guys. I hope you can really imagine what it's really like in jail. It's nothing like on the movies. This is the end. <laughs> the end, my friend. The end. <laughs> Nah, it's been good having you listening. It's been good. Don't know what we're going to do now. But, you know, we'll think of something. Sector 4, over and out. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Bird's Eye View, the first podcast made in Darwin Correctional Centre by us. Women from Sector 4. Sylvia. Nolene. Kay. Amy. Kellyanne. Bianca. Trisha. Kiara. No, kidding. <laughs> Brooklyn. Tace. Rocket. Dan. Jessica. Naomi. Sophie. Julie. Tegan. Joan. Yasmin. Sophie. Jesse. Kirsty Louise. Becky Boo. And Ashley. Bird's Eye View is presented by Story Projects. This episode was produced by Leah Sanderson and Cinnamon Nippard. 
Johanna Bell is executive producer. With mixing by Hamish Robertson of Tall Tale Audio. Our awesome theme music is by Katie Baker and is called Worth It. In this episode, you also heard music by Sokia, Cassie Williams, Sieta, Katie Baker and B2M. Music coordination by Ben Andrews. Jeez Louise, it takes a lot of people to make a podcast. <laughs> Bird's Eye View was funded by another territory government and the Australia Council for the Arts. With support from the Prison Songs Impact Campaign and Audio Craft. Everything you've heard has been signed off by the Northern Territory Correctional Services. To hear more stories from women inside, search for Bird's Eye View wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes.